Hey, welcome to Jesus, Sex, and Politics. I'm Micah. Nathan is not here today, but we're still going to talk about all those things that scare you. Hey, uh, it's uh, it's good to be back with you on this uh, beautiful February afternoon. Hey, we um, uh, we're not we're not going to hear Nathan's voice because Nathan has apparently come down with COVID. He's blaming me. Uh, that I'm the one who gave it to him. I really don't know how you prove that, but in but you know what? We've got a great guest in the studio who it's his job to prove things in the court of law. We have my friend, uh, a longtime attorney, prosecutor, and now defense attorney, uh, Eric Massey, in the studio with us today. Eric, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Excited yeah. to be here. Yeah, man, it's good to have you. Hey, so you and I, we were neighbors. We got to know each yep. other uh, when you were working for the prosecutor's office here in Hamilton County and uh, I, I love your perspective because you've always had a you always had a conservative sort of uh, worldview right. and you're seeing things happening within the judicial system you've been on both sides you were the prosecutor and now you're a defense attorney you get to uh, you were telling me yesterday you feel like you get to uh, kind of defend people from the system a little bit right. now and right. as before you were sort of working for the system both are important. But I wanted to bring you into the studio today to just talk about a lot of the things that we see in our culture right now in our in our system of governance, the judicial branch. It just seems like it's broken. Sure, doesn't always seem like people get a fair shake, and maybe we're just misreading it. Or, but that's why I wanted to have you in and talk a little bit about your experience. So, give me your background. Uh, tell the listeners a little bit about you know where how did you get into law and and uh, some of the things that you've seen. Sure. Yeah. So let me uh, correct one thing that you said earlier, yeah. and that's that as a defense attorney, I don't prove anything in court. I don't have to anyway, right? That's a <laughs> prosecutor's job. That's Burdens good. on them. All right. I love it. So get yep. that clarification <laughs> out of the way here. You're innocent <laughs> until proven guilty, and it's exactly. the prosecutor's job to has the burden of proof. Exactly. Yeah. And like you said, yeah. I've been in those shoes too. Um, but kind of how I got to where I am now, uh, went to college, wasn't sure really what I wanted to do, studied psychology because it interested me. And I thought, well, I can at least get through college and you know figure it out from there. So when I got to college, I said, you know what, psychology is a good foot in the door for either law school or medical school. I took my first college biology class and said, yeah, <laughs> no way. medical school is not for me, not for me. So we'll go the law route. So uh, that was the decision point and uh, ended up going to law school, of course, graduating, started practicing in 2013. Initially, I spent a couple of years roughly doing criminal defense, um, then had an opportunity to join the prosecutor's office in Hamilton County was there for about six and a half years or so. Uh, left there in July of 2022 and went a completely different direction. Said, I've had enough of the criminal law. I'm going to go do something different. Uh, started doing personal injury work, which I enjoyed. And that was similar in a lot of ways to being a prosecutor because you're bringing the case. You have to prove your case, right? So there were a lot of parallels there. It made sense. Uh, enjoyed the work and then got a call out of the blue in December of 2022 from the law firm that I worked at before going to the prosecutor's office. And they said, hey, would you have any interest in coming back? And here we are now, uh, cool. 14 or so months later after that call. So yeah, back fully in the, the criminal defense world, uh, 
representing people charged with every offense you can imagine at the state level and federal. I handle the vast majority of our federal criminal cases at our firm as well. Okay, so uh, so you're dealing with, uh, I mean, you're dealing with sometimes pretty serious uh, criminal offenses that I would imagine if you're doing federal uh, criminal cases and and uh, you get to you get to play in one sense you get to play the role that Christ plays for us the defense attorney right. the prosecutor is really a picture of what the devil does he brings the law and says you broke all these people have broken the law and Christ comes in and says well hey I've I'm I'm the defense attorney and yep. judge the judge is is God and and so you're you're kind of seeing both things but you were telling me yesterday a little bit when we were talking about getting getting ready for this podcast you, you made an interesting comment you said uh you, you said some because I asked you I said do you go in trying to absolve people of the crime like even, even if you know they're guilty how do you play this out and you and you basically said you were like no I'm not trying to lie or deceive anyone we're trying to get the best possible outcome um, regardless of what they've done whether they're guilty or not guilty we want the best possible outcome for that person as and and you were, I think you didn't say it but you were you were kind of implying that you still want justice to be served even yeah. as a defense Absolutely. attorney. I think that's a that's a very noble thing to to strive after and what are, have you ever been in cases though where you've you've kind of found yourself in this like man you know how do I how do I defend this person? Like I know this person is like just totally like done some terrible things like what do you do in that situation? Yeah, so there are certainly those cases and um you know, they're, every case is different, right? And so what what a good outcome looks like in one case is not what a good outcome may look like in another case yeah. because every case is different. The facts are different. Um, you know, you've got different people, different investigators, different law enforcement agencies. All of those things can be variables in what happens at the end of that criminal case. And, you know, as a prosecutor in Hamilton County and a resident of Hamilton County, you know, we're fortunate, we're blessed with very good law enforcement officers across the board. And that was a big benefit in the prosecutor's office and still is, of course, uh, to have those people out on the streets doing that work. Uh, sometimes it makes my job on this side more challenging uh, because I, you know, <laughs> I know a lot work. of them from, yeah, from having worked with them yeah. for all those years. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the system is designed to ensure that, and this is the criminal justice system as a whole, right, is designed to ensure that guilty people are convicted, innocent people are not. Now, is it a perfect system? No. You know, there's no such thing as a man-made perfect system, right? So in any particular case, of course, I have to take inventory of the facts, what happened, how did we get to this point, what is the law, and you know, my biggest job, from my perspective anyway, in representing people who are charged with crimes, regardless of whether they did or did not, in fact, commit this offense, is to make sure that the system treats them fairly. Mm. You know, we have laws in place. We have case law that our courts have decided over centuries now at this point, right, that uh, comes into play to a large extent as well. And so it's making sure that regardless of what the person is charged with, whether it's murder or theft, you know, yep. shoplifting at Walmart, something like that, that their constitutional rights are protected and that the system treats them fairly. Mm, that's good. Is that always easy? No. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there are a lot of factors that can play into that in a given case. But the important thing for me, and, you know, this is somewhat idealistic, is, you know, 
I kind of see myself and people that do the work that I do as a sort of last line of defense from a constitutional standpoint from the government. You know, we've got the Fourth Amendment, of course, under the federal constitution and Article 1, Section 11 under the Indiana Constitution, which is the corollary to the Fourth Amendment under state law. And those are very important rights, you know, search and seizure, first and foremost. And so ensuring that people who are charged with crimes and that the evidence that was obtained against them was done so in a lawful manner is very important to me in particular because if there aren't people out there ensuring that the government, state or federal, is held to those standards, that there are checks in place for what they do and how they do it, then the system comes crumbling down around all of us. Yeah. So that's a brings up a good hypothetical in my mind here. So let's just say, you know, somebody is guilty of a pretty heinous crime, but their fourth amendment rights were violated or or the the police officers didn't, didn't, didn't uh, uphold their constitutional rights when they were going to arrest or during the investigation and all, and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, What, uh, what do you do in that situation? Do you, okay, you know, the guy's guilty, but his rights have been violated. So you know, if you, if you come at it and you say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to fight for this guy to get off because on this technicality, his constitutional rights weren't upheld in one aspect, you're sending a, an evildoer back out on the streets, right? Sure. But, but in another aspect, you're, you're defending the constitutional rights, which probably in your mind is, you're saying, okay, if I don't defend this person's constitutional rights, then this means that this is going to happen again and again and again until somebody stands up and says to the government, enough's enough. So does that ever come into play in your mind? Like, are you like, oh man, this is, I don't want to send this guy back out, but for the sake of the constitution, I gotta, I gotta hammer the government here. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't call, and I, I don't think you meant this this way, to say that it, you know a technicality or that a constitutional yeah, violation right, right. would be a technicality. That's I right, get yes. what you're saying, yeah. no, because yeah. that's the mindset or the, the thought that a lot of people have about defense attorneys, right, is that we're just looking for a loophole, <laughs> and we're trying to get everybody off, and that's just not how it works, you know, not how I've experienced you're not all, working. You're not all weasels, right? I, yeah. I, I did equate you to Christ earlier, so, yes, I mean, there you go. Like, yeah, yeah, so we got that out there early. So... Um, So, yeah, I mean, those things happen. And, you know, the important thing to keep in mind, again, you know, when we're talking about state or federal constitution, you know, these are limits on government power at the end of the day, right? And these rights are protected by the Constitution, the Bill of Rights under the federal constitution. And, And those things are important because, again, that's the foundation of the system, what it does and how it works. And so if those procedures or processes, for lack of better words, aren't followed, then we've got a real problem. And then we're starting to look like countries with no justice system or no meaningful justice system at all. So, you know, it's not so much a battle, you know, in my mind or something like that between, uh, you know, this may be a bad guy who did a bad thing. And, you know, I'm potentially going to, you know, raise these issues in a way that leads a judge ultimately to conclude that evidence isn't admissible and therefore the state's not going to be able to prove their case and has to dismiss it. Um, But I, you know, I see it as a very necessary role of a defense attorney to ensure that those rights are protected because as soon as those rights aren't protected for the guy charged with murder, it rolls downhill. Yeah. They're not going to be protected for you and I, you know, Ben Franklin had a really interesting quote, uh, 
early on when our judicial system was being formed, he said it's better that a uh, hundred guilty go free than one innocent be condemned. Yes. And, uh, and, and, and I think sometimes, you know, we, we think, gosh, every person, we got to ensure that every guilty person is brought to justice. And while that is a good heart, you, you should want that. The danger in that is if we get too if we get too uh, heavy handed with with government systems, they're eventually going to come down and 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 start oppressing those who actually are innocent. And right. so, so no, I think yeah, well, how you said that was really was really good. Like where you're, you know, it's if if you don't do the job well, then eventually the system is going to be turned and targeted towards those who really are innocent. Which brings me to the next uh, kind of. The, the next thing I want to talk about is as I look at the judicial system around the nation right now, I see stuff. I th- see things like um, the federal uh, judicial branch is really out of control. Uh, state and local, I think Indiana does a pretty good job. I think we've got some good people uh, in in our system for the most part. It's not perfect, but it's certainly much better on the state and local front. But federally, we've got we're getting out of hand, and you can look at things like the just the just the the, the chaos that's happening with the January sixth. Uh, people who have been, they haven't even been legal, uh, formally charged, but they've been thrown into jail. Their, their due process rights have been completely trampled by uh, something like the Patriot Act, which basically says, hey, if it has to do with national security, the government can do whatever it wants to its citizens, which is terrible. I've always been opposed to the Patriot Act. I thought it was terrible when Bush did it and and fought, fought for that. But what do you see the system how, how do we get our federal system specifically, but just o- overall, how do we get the trust back and what can be done to fix some of these egregious, I, I would say, uh, oversteps that we've seen in the last you know few months? Oh, I wish I had an answer for you. And I, if I did, <laughs> I'd be really wealthy, be out there doing it or, <laughs> or, or trying writing to a least, book, but writing a book, and, you know, uh, yeah. I, yeah, there's certainly a lot of distrust, uh, you know, of government and law enforcement. And I will tell you from, you know, from having practice now for coming up on 11 years, I guess, as I do the math in my head, um, you know, having worked with a lot of you know, police officers as a prosecutor, many of whom are still good friends of mine, uh, despite me going to the dark side, as they like to uh, <laughs> call it, you know, um, you know, dealing with agents in, in these federal cases too, you know, there, there's still people and they're still good people by and large, you know, that are, that are out there doing that work. I think the the problems and the skepticism largely come from the bureaucracy that's involved and the politicized nature, particularly in the in the federal government yeah. of a lot of those a lot of those jobs and those positions that have a lot of the power and the say so and in what happens. And, you know, just today, which, you know, I'm sure this isn't going to air today, but uh, tomorrow. Okay. So tomorrow. you can say All yesterday. Right. So yesterday, <laughs> uh, you know, there, there was the hearing down in, in Georgia for the disqualification of the DA, yeah, the County DA, right. Yeah. And so I had a little bit of that, uh, playing in my office earlier as I was working just kind of in the background and, um, you know, there were a lot of objections and attempts by the attorneys to keep the defense attorneys in the criminal case from being able to ask certain questions or get into certain information. And that's certainly part of the job. Uh, but one of the commentators in a break in the testimony made reference to, and this was an attorney who was contributing to this particular network doing coverage of this hearing, uh, commented that the repeated and continuing objections and attempts by these attorneys to keep this information from coming out 
almost makes it look worse, right? Like yeah. it's going to come out yeah. inevitably. Why are you fighting so hard to keep it from coming out? And I think a lot of the distrust that people have with respect to the criminal justice system comes from things like that. All of the things that happen behind closed doors, all of the, you know, the investigatory measures that are taken by law enforcement officers that people don't know about. You know, I think those are some of the sources of the big concerns that people have. And then when you get into, you know, the prosecution of a criminal case, uh, you know, body cams are big right now, yeah. for example, right? Yeah. And so uh, certain counties in the state of Indiana have a policy, essentially, the prosecutor's office has a policy that the body cam is released to the defense attorney, which of course has to be provided in discovery, but it's done so under a protective order, meaning it can't be shared, it can't be publicized, it can't be given to anybody else. And it's those clamping down on transparency sort of things mm -hmm. that I think really contribute to what a lot of people perceive as the shadiness, yeah. perhaps. What are you of, hiding? Of the system. Yeah, what are you hiding? Right. There's got to be something because you're hiding, so the cover-up's worse than crime, kind of, that idea of yeah. like, you and know. I, yeah. And so I think that stirs a lot of uh, skepticism yeah. in, in a lot of people. And, you know, there may be nothing there, you know, the vast majority of the time, but why why is that necessary why aren't these public servants yeah who you know work for your, you and i and everybody else you know why are we shrouding what they do in secrecy yeah you know, i'm not some tinfoil hat conspiracist or anything like that uh, but i think those are the reasons why people have some of the concerns that they do so on the body cam that just that that scenario that you brought up what do you think is the is the right thing for for that, just that we'll use that example. It, should it be something that, you know, the moment the body cam footage is, you know, uh, ready to be put out to the public, it should just be public for everyone to see. Do you think that's, that is wise? Do you think that's the right thing from a prosecutor standpoint, a defense attorney standpoint? You've been in both, both chairs. Right. Like, like how, I mean, sometimes there's, there's gotta be a little bit of wisdom with, what kind of information just gets thrown out to the yeah, public. Sure. So there's, I think there's a little bit of caution that, that it can be wise, but at the same time, yeah, we, they work for us. We should know it's not, this isn't classified, you know, we're, you know, if we could see the footage uh, early on, that might kind of quell some of the, you know, what we saw in 2020, you yeah. know, things with riots and sure. stuff when people are like, Oh, they're hiding something. It must be really, really bad when, yeah you know, come to find out, no, it wasn't really bad. It was totally justified or something, you know, so. Yeah, so, you know, when I was at the prosecutor's office, uh, most of the agencies in the county either had or were in the process of getting body-worn cameras for, for every officer. Yep. And I welcomed that as a prosecutor because I thought there should be transparency, yeah. right? The, yeah. This information should be accessible, should be out there. Uh, you know, I thought it protected officers sure. from false claims of excessive force yeah, or, yeah. you know, or something like that. Well, here, you know, here's the body cam. Here's the in-car video with the audio showing exactly what yeah. happened and telling you exactly what was said. So there can't be any dispute about it. Yeah. And so I think from that perspective, it was a good thing. Same now as a defense attorney, you know, I, not that I don't trust the officer, but I want to verify, right? Yeah. Trust and verify. Yeah, that's good. And so I want to be able to review that footage myself, see exactly what happened, exactly what was said, because a lot can be lost of the context, demeanor, 
pauses in statements, things like that, when it's just reduced to writing and you're reading it in a report that somebody wrote after it happened. Yeah. You know, I want to see that in real time and see exactly how this played out. How did this conversation go? And so, you know, for me as a defense attorney, those videos are really important. And, you know, is it often that I come across something that, you know, an officer wrote in a report that's completely contradicted by what's in the video? No, not at all. And it allows me as an attorney to then go to my client and say, you know, you messed up. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a whole lot I'm going to be able to do <laughs> yeah. with this one. Right. So we're not, you know, we're not talking about eliminating. You got to bend over and we're, kiss your butt. Goodbye. We're talking about minimizing consequences <laughs> at this point. So, um, you know, so I think those, you know, the body cams, the more information that's out there, the better. Now the yeah. problem we have, and this is going to be true under the freedom of information act federally, it's going to be true under the access to public records act in Indiana is the law and excuse me, law enforcement investigatory records are generally protected from disclosure okay. under those statutes. Now, there are exceptions, and you know, from my perspective, once a case is filed, it is no longer under investigation, at least in totality, yeah. and that information should be accessible to the public. Yeah. You know? And, you know, credit to IMPD, you know, anytime, and I don't know if you've seen any of these, that they have an officer-involved shooting they take the body cam if there's surveillance video in the area that they obtain and they created essentially an after action report breaking down exactly what happened. Uh, of course they censor out or edit out the grotesque parts right. of the videos right. when necessary. But I think that's a really good step for, you know, IMPD in particular and the issues that they have with community relations and community yeah. trust that have developed over the last several years. I think that's a great thing that they're doing. And I've watched a, a number of them because I think they're very enlightening to see in that moment to the extent that, you know, the body cam on the chest shows what the officer sees with their eyes, right? There's yeah. obviously some difference in perspective, what you see on the video versus what the officer actually saw. But I think that's a great step in trying to promote confidence in and restore confidence in the system, at least with the boots on the ground yeah. being the police officers, what they do, how they do it and why they acted in the way that they did. Being a police officer today, I mean, I mean, it's it is a it takes a special person, and you know, God bless all of the men and women in law enforcement. Definitely. But boy, I tell you what, I mean, they they put not only their lives on the line uh, every day, now they're putting their reputation on the line because yeah. if they do one little thing wrong in that moment and just make a mistake, I mean, they could be it's crucified. Everywhere. Yeah, I yep. mean, just uh, publicly shamed, and mm -hmm. who knows who knows what could happen, you know, legally. And I think. You know, that's got to be going through every officer's head and at the back of their mind thinking, okay, if I don't do this right, you know, I could be the one that yeah. faces, you know, and I think there's, there's health there. It's healthy for officers to know what you're doing is a very solemn uh, responsibility. I mean, don't take it lightly, right? You need to be certainly doing what you're doing with honor, integrity Definitely. to the utmost, uh, uh, to your utmost, uh, you know, ability to, to defend the constitution. But we also got to have some grace for people who just make mistakes in that split second where it's like, okay, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback. And Absolutely. I think those videos help stop the Monday morning quarterbacking. If they can get out ahead of it and say, Hey, 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 hold on a second. Look what, look what really happened before yeah. you hear the Reverend Al Sharpton's on the you know TV saying, yeah, everyone yeah. riot downtown, you know? So, yeah. Well, and that's come up. Um, you know, I want to say it was probably, not too terribly long after the George Floyd incident, 
there was a, a situation, I want to say it was in Georgia, somewhere in the south, where an officer fired at somebody who was unarmed. And, you know, that was all over the news, all over social media. This officer, you know, was essentially crucified. Yeah. And a prosecutor came in and charged him. You know, I don't remember if it was the next day or, you know, yeah. before any meaningful investigation, investigation yeah. at least in my humble opinion, yeah. could have occurred. And and then we turn around and charges are dismissed. Yeah. You know, they did their internal <laughs> review of the use of force and everything yeah. and yeah. everything was on the up and up. Yeah. And everybody's just so quick with these knee jerk Gosh. reactions. And, you know, that doesn't do any good no. for anybody. Remember uh, Michael Brown, hands up, yeah. don't shoot, yeah. right? I mean, uh, the, the officer, I forget his name, but he got run out of town um, and was vilified. But when whenever when the evidence actually came out it's like this guy was not only michael brown was not only uh, attacking the officer he was probably going to kill the officer had not the officer done what he did and and it was a total justified shooting yep. but by that point i mean it's it too matter. late yeah it's yep. too late everybody to this day you might you, people still think you know hands up don't shoot oh michael brown was totally shot unarmed was just minding his own business you know they forget to say no he just robbed a store he was he was attacking actually the officer when the officer shot him and and uh, the officer kept giving him orders and he was disobeying those orders and, and and yeah part of the problem and what feeds a lot of these issues is the media yeah right? oh because for sure it's, it makes for a sensational yeah. story and you know I don't, I'm not a journalist I've never been a journalist but you know journalistic standards to the extent that they exist or did exist you know <laughs> yeah. I think have been lessened over no, the years. Yeah, that's- and it's an understatement. Uh, so maybe I am putting my tinfoil conspiracist <laughs> hat on now that I said I wasn't earlier. But, uh, you know, but that's a large part of the problem. And especially with the ease of yeah. obtaining and putting out information through social media. Yeah. It just spreads like wildfire. And, you know, once that narrative is set, it's almost impossible, if not impossible, to change that. Yeah, that's at right. least in the court of public opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, uh, it's it's almost because everybody's become a journalist, you know, with cell phones, right. with social media, you can have one person's opinion go viral and everyone latches onto that, whether it's true or not, nobody cares. Yeah. It's just the opinion of one person. And, and so, yeah, we see that. Well, um, the, the, as far as working with the feds over, you know, when you're defending somebody with the feds, how's that experience been like? Cause to me, the federal judicial uh, branch is almost like this faceless bureaucratic, uh, you know, monster, right? I, I look at that and say, okay, there's, you don't know who you're really, who's the prosecutor, who are the people coming at you? It's just somebody in Washington or somebody who's linked to Washington. And, and, uh, whereas state and local, you know, I know who our judges are here. Sure. I, I, I know where they go to church. I know, you know, I see them at ball games, whatever it might be. I can, there's recourse, you know, locally and, st- and even on the statewide level, I, I know some of those people too. Uh, but boy, when it comes to the fed, it's, it's like, it's just this faceless bureaucratic monster How, how's that been working as a defense attorney fighting against uh you know the the federal judicial branch in some aspects what's that been like yeah so feds are a different beast yeah um and it's you know i i would be lying if i didn't say especially early on that it was intimidating you know walking into the federal courthouse you know the federal judge yeah. these assistant u.s attorneys that handle the cases day in and day out uh you know of course you're U.S. attorney, the head of each office, you know, we've got the Southern District and the Northern District of Indiana here within the state, uh, you know, they are political appointees, appointees, I probably shouldn't say political, but 
it is yeah. political. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, but most of the assistant U.S. attorneys who I'm actually working with are career prosecutors, okay. career employees. There, uh, you know, aren't necessarily political. You know, they don't necessarily get booted out of office with the changing of the political yeah. winds that come Guard, through. Yeah. It, um, real quick before you go on, so the 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 political appointments for the district attorney. Um, they come at the pleasure of the president, correct? Or the U.S. attorney. Yes. Yeah, U.S. attorney, yes. yep. Uh, and so, and then the same thing with federal judges. The, they get appointed by... Confirmed yep, by... By the, the Senate, Senate right. but, but appointed uh, by, the, uh, by the president. So do you find that that these people tend to be fair? Do you, are, are, you a lot, are you shocked at, at what you've seen? You said it's intimidating, but I, like, what's the... What has the outcomes been for for you? Have you been pleasantly surprised, or has it been like, ah, okay, there's definitely uh, there's definitely the the thumb on the scale of justice here? So, sort of a tough question to answer, and a little background will probably help explain why. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, the feds, of course, um, you know, their jurisdiction, they have to have some federal jurisdiction in order to bring a federal case in order to get an indictment against somebody for a federal offense. That's not too terribly difficult these days. (laughs) Um, You know, anything, any item, cell phone, very common, travels in interstate commerce before it even gets into the suspect's hands. You know, this iPhone is manufactured in China or California or wherever it comes to Indiana, not manufactured here, of course, or any of the component parts of that device that came from somewhere else and traveled to interstate commerce, that phone is then subsequently used to commit an offense. That's enough to trigger federal jurisdiction. Now, obviously, the feds don't take every case that they could, right? And they tend to be pretty selective about what they take. And, you know, I won't say that every case that the feds adopt that might have started out as a state case is a laydown, but they're generally very strong. So something I had to learn really quickly in federal practice is to get used to losing right okay, okay? so uh, that's kind of the baseline you know? they know how to take cases where they're pretty confident they, they can win they do and they yeah. have they have good attorneys that yeah. work in in that office a lot of them were prosecutors in, you know in state for example there's several former marion county prosecutors at the southern district of indiana u.s attorney's office in indianapolis uh some of them were in private practice at big firms yeah. um, you know litigators know what they're doing i actually like that it's a lot easier to work with and try a case against an attorney who knows what they're doing than somebody who's new, uh, you know, still trying to figure things out. It just makes the process go a lot more smoothly. Yeah. So I appreciate that. And I've actually, over the time I've been doing this work, have come to really enjoy my federal cases uh, for a lot of reasons. I've found the judges to be fair, um, not that the state judges aren't, but we're talking just about the, the feds. Yeah. Um, you know, and kind of changing my opinion when I first started walking into these federal courthouses that, man, they're just going to drop the hammer and, you know, there's just nothing I can do, right? Uh, So I've been very pleasantly surprised through those experiences with the, again, kind of the day-to-day actual happenings in those United States district court courthouses. Uh, You know, good prosecutors, good judges who give you a fair shake. You know, most of my federal cases, as with most of my state cases, end up being resolved by a guilty plea rather than a trial. But after that plea happens, we have a sentencing hearing and have the opportunity to present evidence and argument as to what an appropriate sentence is for this particular defendant in this particular case. And largely, I think you know, my arguments are pretty well received. The judges give very thoughtful 
explanations for the sentences that they are imposing in any given case and kind of getting back to the transparency conversation earlier, I think that goes a long way in allowing everyday people like you and me and the people that I represent to see that the system to a large extent is working the way that it's supposed to when it comes down to the actual fact finding and decision making. But as we've talked about, I think some of the problems that people have with the system or that we can perceive with the system relate back to things that happen much earlier in the process or that are happening kind of on a grander scale, more big picture. Yeah. Um, before we let you go, if, is, if you were, you know, king of the world and could change one thing about our current judicial branch and our system, what, what is, is there one thing we can say, man, that just needs to change because I think it'd be helpful for listeners to, you, you know, you've got a conservative sort of uh, worldview. You have a, you've good history within the, ju- the judicial system Someone inside the system being able to say, hey, I've seen this. It's not really working the way the founders uh, intended. Um, you know, what What would that one thing be if you could even put your thumb on that? That's a, that's a big so, question. Yeah. yeah. So one thing that I deal with a lot and that anybody who practices in criminal law, I think, deals with quite a bit, whether they realize it or not, is mental illness, okay. mental health issues. Yeah. Uh, The system as a whole is getting better at recognizing and dealing with that problem. But, you know, it's been said that the largest mental institutions in the country are county jails, Mm. where these people are being held who have committed crimes or have been accused of committing crimes if they've not yet been convicted and sentenced. But they're, you know, if I could change one thing, it would be, a focus more on rehabilitation, particularly for that mental health component. And I think that would reduce the number of offenses that we're seeing. And we see this play out in other areas of life, right? I mean, I've listened to your podcasts and uh, do so frequently and, you know, the transgender issue oh, comes yeah. up a lot yeah. you know, and how that's connected to mental illness. Mental illness. Yep. Um, yep. You know, same situation with a lot of people who find themselves in the criminal justice system. There's something going on that's leading to this behavior because not everybody's bad. Not everybody gets up one day and says, I want to go start using meth and, you know, becoming an addict. There's something going on that's contributing to that. And, you know, we're fortunate that, as I said, people within the system are starting to realize that and focus on that mental health problem in a way that hasn't really ever been done before you know we've got specific mental health in hamilton county for example Uh, there's a mental health diversion program for people who qualify to participate in that could potentially allow them to avoid a conviction by fulfilling certain conditions over a period of supervision Um, you know some counties have instituted mental health courts in the same way that we have veterans courts or drug courts that focus on that specific problem so hamilton county's drug court program is very robust very successful. I was able to participate in that. I was one of the deputy prosecuting attorneys assigned to drug court when I was still a prosecutor. And, you know, the philosophy there is an extraordinarily intense period of supervision, sort of a step down from, you know, incarceration, potentially if the person is incarcerated to work release, home detention and probation, but with intensive services and, the hope being, of course, that the person is able to complete all of that successfully yeah. and we never see him again. That's right, yeah. Uh, 
Hamilton County has a veterans court program as well uh, for people that were veterans of the military. Um, you know, and typically there's some sort of mental health component involved yeah, there as yeah. well. And, you know, so things like that, I think are good. These specialized courts or these specialized programs that are designed to address the underlying issues. I think we could make better use and more prevalent use of programs like that to truly get at the underlying issues that have these people having contact yeah. with the criminal justice system yeah. in the first place. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, we uh, we are certainly seeing that heightened uh, the problem with uh, mental illness. You, you, you wonder, you know, we, we had a lot of insane asylums back in the day, right? We've gotten rid of those, those types of, uh, institutions. And, and I think there's, there's probably good reason, uh, that we've gotten rid of, rid of them. But some, in some cases, to your point, now we just flood the County jails or we just, you know, we don't know how to handle people who are mentally just ill. And I, I think too, we'd be remiss if we didn't address the spiritual, uh, aspect oh, of that sure. too you yeah. know there's a huge spiritual crisis which le- which is leading to a mental illness crisis yes. and and so i think that maybe the judicial system doesn't really look at the spiritual nature of things as right. well as it should and um but but no that's that's good man i i love your perspective i think uh it is it's neat to see how god has kind of had you in both camps as a prosecutor and now as a defense attorney and and uh and maybe who knows maybe someday you'll be uh, attorney general somewhere so uh <laughs> Uh, well, as we talked about yesterday, I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, we'll see where the the Lord leads me. I, I love it, man. Well, that's good. Well, thanks for you know, thanks for serving and and uh, and again doing uh, doing a a great um, just uh, service to our to our state. I mean, because you're helping people who are in in a desperate time of need, and, yeah, and uh, I, I take great pride in that. And you know, I find a lot of meaning in my work, which is you know a big part of the reason that I I came back to representing people who've been accused of committing crimes. I think there's a lot of assistance that you can provide those people, not necessarily with the case itself, uh, but in helping them try to navigate this turbulent period in their life, whatever it is uh, that's going on. And, you know, every once in a while we get those success stories where, you know, I'll talk to a client, uh, you know, a year, two years later, and they say, you know, I finally got it. I finally on the right track. They'll call and say, thanks. I'll send a letter or something. And, you know, those are the types of wins, so to speak, that, you know, that keep you coming back every morning, you know, after you've been beat up, you know, had a week long trial lost and, you know, just feeling (laughs) down in the dumps and then something happens, somebody reaches out and you remember why you do this, why you do this kind of work and, you know, why you take those lumps. And it's, uh, we were talking yesterday too, it's about purpose, right? Uh, not just uh, purpose on, on this earth, but eternal purpose. And I think, you know, I, I, I can't wait someday to find out the people that you have stood with in their time of need that it not only led them on a path of change and healing on this side of heaven, but also uh, led them into nec- the next side of heaven and, you know, finding the Lord. And, and uh, you know, I, you, look at the, you look at the thief on the cross, you know, that's just a beautiful story of redemption. Uh, here's, here's someone that, that was a convicted criminal, you right. know, was being crucified and, uh, and, and certainly it was a gruesome way to, to, to carry out justice, but, <laughs> but that's how the Romans did it. And, uh, and you know, he's, he recognizes Jesus is the Lord in that moment yep. and, you know, ask, ask Christ to remember him and Jesus forgives him in that moment. And, and, uh, and, and he's, you know, he's in paradise today, yep. right. You know, and, and I mean, just, uh, what a, I can't wait to, can't wait to meet that guy someday, you know, and just say, you know, that what a, you didn't never, didn't go to church, 
You never had communion. You didn't understand, you know, uh, justification through faith. Like you didn't, you didn't know any of that. And yet you met Christ in your last moments, uh, as justice was being carried out upon you and he, he had mercy on you. And and now you're, you know, you're in paradise forever. And, and, you know, in a, in a, in a, in an amazing way, you get to be that, that voice for people who are probably finding themselves in a similar type situation that the thief on the cross was, was in, you know, and And that's that's just proof that it's never too late. So, you know, I was later in life as we've discussed to really fully welcoming Jesus and pouring myself out. Yep. And, you know, but it's never, it's never too late. That's right. Regardless of what you've done. Yeah. That's the whole point. Right. Oh man. It's, it's, and that's the, that's the message of the gospel, right? You're never too far away to turn back to the Lord. And, uh, and I, I think uh, our I think our judicial system, even for the the things that are broken about it, I think our founders really modeled it after um, a merciful God, a just but also merciful God. Correct. And, and they recognize God God doesn't you know forego justice, but He also can can be merciful, and He seeks to to uh, rehabilitate you know yeah. and to 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 seek after the lost. And yeah. yeah, that's good, man. Well, and that's you know a foundation of. Indiana's criminal justice system, it's written into our constitution that the justice system should be focused on reformation and not on vindictive justice. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Uh, that's good. And praise the Lord for our nation, you know, because there are some nations around around the nation around the world that uh that that have vindictive justice. Yeah. You and, know, you know, by no means is it a perfect system and never yeah. will be. That's just simply not realistic. But I've yeah. yet to learn of or figure out a better one a better one that's good that's good awesome well uh hopefully this was uh just in-depth conversation that uh got you thinking today about where we are as a nation uh always make sure that you stay alert uh stay on uh stay stay uh vigilant to hold our our government uh, accountable and our officials accountable but man it, it is it is encouraging eric to hear your your side of the story and and know that okay i think you know for all of our problems there's there's certainly a uh, bright spots that we yeah, can point no to. So, absolutely. yeah. Well, thanks for coming in today, man. And, absolutely. Um, thanks again for having. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, it's been uh, it's been really enlightening. And again, I'm sorry, Nathan wasn't here. Uh, I, 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 I just he's got COVID, and I, you know, I, I do feel gonna, uh, I feel a little hurt. So <laughs> he's he's gonna we're gonna force him to wear a mask uh, when he comes <laughs> back to church. Well, I know because I'm walking so, out of the sanctuary a couple weekends ago, and I saw him, and I was like, hey, man, looking forward to the uh, podcast we're gonna record in a couple weeks, and then he doesn't even bother to show. That's up. what I'm talking. <laughs> about it. it's just like dude you can't blame any yeah, covid's gone man you can't <laughs> continue to blame stuff on covid that was so 2020 come on so uh but all right well hey tell your friends and family about jesus sex and politics share it uh spread the word the truth uh when people know the truth they will be set free so until next time this has been jesus sex and politics we'll catch you on the flip side later later